You're listening to Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Good morning. It's time for our Compassion Radio's Chase the Word series. And we're in the middle of Psalm 69 right now. Sandy's in the studio with me. Welcome back. Hi, it's good to be here. We do our studies in a kind of unique way. It's conversational. Mm-hmm. And usually we'd hear teaching from the Bible coming at you from a pulpit or from a Bible teacher who does kind of a monologue. But we have also learned that when people sit down together and study the Word together, dig into it, stuff happens that's unique. Mm-hmm. And I think I've learned more from these particular books we've studied over the years in dialogue with you, because you know me. You know, mm-hmm. We've been married now for 30 years. We are passionate about the word getting into the hands and hearts and minds mm-hmm. of people that we encounter, that we talk to every day on the radio. Well, what you said is exactly true about it, honey. It's a dialogue. It's a conversation between two people who care for each other and who also are open to the thoughts of the other person. Mm-hmm. And that's what dialogue is about. When we have a dialogue with someone, it means that we are open to discussion of things and not just trying to convince the other of yeah. some particular point. So dialoguing with another person about Scripture and walking through a particular chapter in the Bible verse by verse is a really great way to open your mind to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you through another person. And dialogue assumes something important, which is the person sitting across the table from you is somebody you want to hear from. Mm -hmm. That this relationship matters as much as what that person even might think. Mm the relationship that says, we'll be through this together no matter what. Even if we disagree on things, Mm -hmm. we're still us. And if we approach the Word of God that way, thinking about it being a person, I mean, we hear time after time that the Word of God is not an it, it is a who, Mm, and that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when we sit down here and do the study every week, we are inviting Jesus to sit at the table with us and speak to us from His Word in His own idiom, And then recognizing, too, that the person across the table is important to him. So as you and I talk and share things together, we're sharing them with Jesus, too. And he values that himself. That, to me, I think is the core value of doing a dialogue, exegetical study of any book. Yeah, I like that. We can't really do all 150 chapters of Psalms and expect to get it done in a decade. Well, some of the chapters have hundreds of verses in them, so it would take a very long time to go through all that. So we chose a series of Davidic Psalms, meaning that we have good word on it, that he actually wrote them as lyrics to songs he was singing. And therefore, we're studying song lyrics. And they've been using song lyrics and worship ever since. So I kind of like the idea of doing a song lyric study. (laughs) You too. We're looking across thousands of years, and to think we can actually get at thoughts that mean something to us across all that span of time is pretty impressive. So where are we in the book of Psalm 69 right now? We are starting on verse 19 this week, a continuation of David just spilling his heart out to God. David gives us permission to just throw it all out there and to be completely honest with God. Sometimes reading these things, you think, oh my goodness, He's really upset with somebody. He's he's, ready to tear a new hole in something. Yeah, he's just raking somebody over the coals, and he's telling God to deal with it, take care of it. It seems like, whether we believe it completely true or not, that David is telling God off, dressing him down, saying, you promised this, Lord, so come through. Your reputation's on the line. He said that a lot. Mm -hmm. If you don't come through right now, they're all going to look at me for being a fool and you for being worthless. So don't you dare (laughs) to fail me now. And there's a lot of guts in this man to talk that way to God and then to turn around to his temple and say, 
you want to talk to God Here, like sing this. this song that I've Here's the template. <laughs> and are we ever really brave enough in mm-hmm. our church settings to think, oh, he's really going at it this time, and talk about that, because that emotional pressure that you feel in some of these psalms is what has resonated with people reading these lyrics over all these centuries, yeah. over those who have sung them and wept them and lamented them for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. They've sung these things with the same kind of passion, same kind of pain at yeah. times that yeah. David has felt. Right. That's what I think really is so powerful about that. God can handle this. He can handle our strongest and deepest emotions. He can even handle our anger at him. Yeah. I believe it's possible for us to actually have a vibrant spiritual life and once in a while get the ugly out Mm -hmm. and not be ashamed that we have to bring this to God because who else is going to take it? Who else is going to care enough to get through this with us than the God who made us? Mm -hmm. So we've encouraged folks, no matter what, Stay honest. If you're going to pray these prayers the way David did, and you feel the same things, you better own up to them because Mm -hmm. they're real. And trying to fake it through the psalm would be a really unwise thing. Yeah, for sure. David doesn't have any problem being honest with God. It shows trust in God. A little caveat there. He has no problem being honest with God as he perceives it. Absolutely. And there are times when he recognizes, wait a minute, I may not have the full picture on this. I may not understand fully. So Lord, what do you have to say about this? Mm -hmm. He actually does stop like a screeching halt sometimes to say, whoa, I may be getting out of hand here. Lord, you talk to me now. Mm -hmm. And when he responds with the Holy Spirit's moving in him, he changes direction often. He answers his own anger and frustration with God's glory and his patience and kindness and mercy. He does, for sure. He's not just saying nice words. He's not trying to veneer over a rift in a relationship. He's establishing that there really is a relationship that can handle the hard times. Right, right. It would be great to be able to say you have friends that you can do this with, Mm. that you can pour out your heart to, and even in anger toward them sometimes for being late for something that you thought they were supposed to show up for. And that's kind of what David is doing here. But he's also telling God about those people who have really hurt him and have done him wrong. That's what this section of Psalm 69 is about. Now, I'll ask you a question from your reading of Psalm 69. Do you get the impression that these are time sensitive? Like he actually had this thought and this experience with God, this dialogue, and then he thought about it for a while and came back to it later and had a different response because he thought about it? Or is this one can of worms being spilled all at once? What's your impression? Well, this particular psalm, it feels to me like it was just a train of thought. Mm. Like he's just spilling it out and these things are coming to mind and he's putting it out there and reminded of the insults and the people that have hurt me. And I'm going to put that out there as well. And then he turns a corner again later, further on down in the chapter, and he says, okay, but I'm going to praise God through this and remind others to do the same. So whether Dave is looking back on this experience and recalling it, remembering it, and reinvigorating the story for our benefit so we understand that he went through these things, Mm -hmm. or whether or not we're just witnessing one man in a meltdown, (laughs) whatever the situation is that these words made it to the page, if you could find yourself in these words at all, then you found yourself in the heart of God because he says, that guy, that songwriter is a man after my heart. Mm -hmm. In other words, it moves God's heart. He loves to hear David's music. So I think he would be very happy to hear us singing along with David on these themes. Mm -hmm. Let's go ahead and jump in at verse 19. Okay. I'm reading from the Common English Bible. You know full well the insults I've received. You know my shame and my disgrace. All my adversaries are right there in front of you. Insults have broken my heart. I'm sick about it. I hoped for sympathy, but there wasn't any. I hoped for comforters, 
but couldn't find any. They gave me poison for food. To quench my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Let the table before them become a trap, their offerings a snare. Let their eyes grow too dim to see. Make their insides tremble constantly. Pour out your anger on them. Let your burning fury catch them. Let their camp be devastated. Let no one dwell in their tents. Because they go after those you've already struck, they talk about the pain of those you've already pierced. Pile guilt on top of their guilt. Don't let them come into your righteousness. Let them be wiped out of the scroll of life. Let them not be recorded along with the righteous. And me? I'm afflicted. I'm full of pain. Let your salvation keep me safe, God. Here's the pivot, I think, for those who read this, and they instantly resonate with the story of Jesus on the cross. Mm -hmm. And that's what chapter 69 has been used as a proof text of the prophetic abilities and calling of David, that he was the king and a priest and a prophet. Mm -hmm. He was all these things wrapped up in one. I see plenty of that in there. But what I'm kind of curious about is whether or not David is prophesying as if he's the Messiah or as if he's there with the Messiah. And I do think that he was transported in some way into the kind of anguish that Jesus himself would feel. And those particular details of being fed vinegar when he was thirsty, Mm -hmm. things like that had literal historical significance in the life of Jesus. It didn't have to happen that way when Jesus was crucified. He didn't have to have a hyssop stick with vinegar on it shoved in his mouth saying, drink that, you criminal. It didn't have to happen that way, Mm -hmm. yet it did. Mm -hmm. And somehow, a thousand years before, here's David enveloped in all this. And what I can imagine is this. David is asking God to show him what it's going to be like. He's already promised him the Messiah will come from your own seed. Your reign will never end. He's already told David these things. Mm -hmm. I can imagine David being like a precocious four-year-old. Why? What? Tell me more. He wouldn't satisfy himself with just the general knowledge. He said to God, probably, show me. Mm -hmm. I want to know what this means. I can imagine God responding by saying, you want to go that deep? Here we go. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I'll show you. This is not the kind of Messiah you're thinking of. And I can imagine David being taken up into these things, prophetically even, and being able to describe them Mm -hmm. as only a poet can. But nonetheless, in anguish, I can imagine David looking back from the cross through Jesus's eyes and seeing the sea of hatred, the sea of condemnation coming back and realizing that they're killing the Messiah. Yeah. I can see in this portion of the scripture, too, how David is prophesying over those who actually killed Jesus. Right. The religious leaders of the time, he's begging God not to include them in the scroll of life. I think it's David's heart here that he's expressing just as much as being witness to and passionate about the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think that Jesus was in that frame of mind on the cross. Like, he wanted everything blotted out. He wanted those people to suffer. He'd already said, Father, don't count the sin against them. So can the Messiah have a different perspective than David in this prophecy? I believe strongly, yes. And I think it's one of the reasons why this is prophetic, because I still see David there. Mm -hmm. It's not like someone wrote it in a thousand years later and made it clean and perfect. Like, it reconciles itself well with Jesus' theology and his actions. I see David all over this. Will you help us get ready for the next Big Faith Challenges and Opportunities of this year? The first and best way to reach us is through our website, CompassionRadio.com. It's available 24-7. Our safe and secure order form there will get your gift to the places needed most and we'll do it right away. 
You can also support us with a call during Pacific Time Business Hours at 1-800-868-2478. That's 1-800-868-2478. You can also text COMPASSION to 53445 to give right through your phone, no matter where you are. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Your gift is deeply appreciated. I see David all over this. Yeah. I don't think that Jesus was following the example of David. I think David is witness to the example of Jesus, but he's seeing things in intensity, in extremis. He's there when the worst that could happen to a man is happening. And I think David's imagining what he feels when he knows that it's one of his sons. Mm. So he's taking up an offense in some ways for what's happening to Jesus. If someone is murdering your kid? Well, absolutely. But I'm just talking prophetically. In your mind, you're seeing him actually defending Jesus and to God. I feel that, yes. Yeah. And I think it's there in the text because I I feel like he's really present. Mm -hmm. But I don't think this is Jesus talking. I think it's David. Right, right. I think it's one of the reasons why God says he's a man after my own heart. God the Father is enabling him to see something which is excruciating. He's already connected the dots. He knows that's part of his family. This is the Messiah. He's being projected forward in time to be part of his line. This is not a pleasant picture. Mm-hmm. And David is being absolutely David. God, put an end to this. My kid's being hurt. That ain't fair. And I would say in any other situation with any other person, to be shoved into a situation to have to open up a can of worms, a pain so deep that you would just die from it and force you to experience it, would be unacceptable. You don't do this to somebody. But we're talking about God and David here. And I think David has begged God to enter into that. Why else would God pour it out like that? We believe that God's not vindictive and he's not out to harm us or unmoor us to the point of destruction. He's not capricious with us. He doesn't regard us like he doesn't want us, where he's going to see if we can stand his tests like he's some kind of sadist. I don't believe any of that about God. And yet we look at the scene and we think if David was really there, present emotionally, and being David in this scene, I feel like God is not just showing him an idea across this time and space, but bringing him emotionally present with something that will change the universe. Mm -hmm. So for me, I think it's why I believe this is strongly prophetic, not because Jesus would speak David's words, but that David would not be restrained from speaking his words of objection to something that seems incomprehensible and have the details right. This is what the suffering Savior will, in fact, do. It was going to take many more years and many more prophets to bring it together mm-hmm. and give us a context in which we could understand how a Messiah could be triumphant and suffering at the same time. We haven't gotten to Isaiah yet. We haven't gotten to the later prophets or to Malachi or Zephaniah, Zechariah, saying this is how and where and when. Here's the details. Here's the roadmap. None of that has happened yet. David is just at the beginning of this. So if anybody else had a beat on this, it was probably Moses. And the two of them have been to such heights. They've also been pushed down to such depths that they've seen a whole lot bigger bandwidth of human experience than the average human being has. Mm. Honey, that's really an interesting take on this whole section of the scripture. And I I don't disagree with it at all. I I think it's something that I'm going to have to ponder for a while, even when we're done with this. But it makes a lot of sense to think that David would be defending Jesus in Mm. this. He's seeing something that we don't see. Yeah. 
he is obviously, from a prophetic standpoint, has been taken up to a place that we don't understand. Right. He's incensed by it. You know, he's like, I, I hoped for sympathy. There wasn't any. This has broken my heart, he says. Right. I'm sick about this. There's no comfort in this. This is poison. The food is poison in mm. my mouth because this horrific thing that I'm seeing happen. So here's what I want you to do to these people that are yeah. murdering the Messiah. I want you to take them out. I yeah. want you to remove them they from the scroll of life. They have lost all right to any yes. mercy. Yeah. In his hyper-justice-minded lordship, I mean, he's been given the keys of the kingdom, literally. He could have slain them all as a king on the spot, and yet he cannot in this vision. He's restrained from acting out with his own authority. Mm-hmm. He has to sit there and take it. And I think in that way, he enters into the Messiah's experience. But that doesn't change David's nature or his personality. In fact, it magnifies it. And something in that gives me real hope. Mm -hmm. Because if it doesn't require me to lose myself and disappear, but requires me to be under Jesus, then I can experience a lot of things and be honest about my feelings in experiencing them without fear. And I think David is without fear about actually living out his experience and telegraphing that to us over all these years. Mm -hmm. It's okay to be present. And even if it's at a place where no human being should ever have to go, to be present to that sometimes is a severe mercy, that we are allowed to be him in places that no one else could possibly be because we can see something no one else can see. Mm -hmm. In that regard, I think the prophetic gifts can come to us not to see the future so much as to understand the present. A lot of us have gone through suffering or had to be in a room where it's not going right. It's not going well. But somehow we just know in our gut God's here. How can he be here and all this bad stuff happening at the same time? And it doesn't make any sense. And yet the Spirit says, shh, be here. You can sing about it later. You can yell at me later if you need to, but just be quiet right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. David also talks about in verse 26 and 27, those that have already been struck with adversity. Mm. He's rising up to defend those as well. And I know we're talking about so many layers here of what the scripture could mean and and that, yes, it is prophetic about Jesus on the cross and he was already struck and they struck him again. They mocked him in the pain that he was in, that he had already been pierced. That is a good word for us as well. David is defending those who have been struck down, who have been pierced with life's difficulties and traumas. And he's saying, those people that kick somebody when they're down, yeah. You got to take care of that, God. You got you got to pile guilt on top of their Are head. you going to put up with this forever? Yeah. Why would you even let it go a minute, God? Yeah. He's saying to him, sticks and stones are breaking my bones, and now words have completely crushed me. Mm-hmm. All this stuff is true, and all the things we try to play down are suffering or the things that are unjust in this world. Mm-hmm. David cannot shy away from that because it's not his nature. Right. Well, he's a defender of the lowly yeah. and the weak. He knows what it feels like to be in that place of being defenseless in a lot of ways. He was the youngest brother, and I'm sure his big brothers messed him up a little bit. And he was chased by Saul for a big part of his life. He was on the run most of his young adult life. Yeah. He was a down and outer. And he defended those around him that were being oppressed and were down on their luck. So he has a real place in his heart for that kind of situation. He's going to see it and he's going to be moved by it. And he's going to call on God to defend them or send me to defend them, God. And now that I'm in that situation, you defend me and you take up my case against these other people that are punching me in sore spots. 
keep in mind, too, is that David is a grandchild or great-grandchild of Ruth and Boaz. His family tree is not that deep at this point from the other books we read about incredible suffering Mm -hmm. and restoration stories. This is a living history in his family. And so he's heard firsthand the stories of how his parents came to be and why it was God's miracle that they did. These books are just being written. They're fresh off the press. They're, They're the novels on the newsstand. This is his life, and he sees himself in that context. I came from this. And some people might have looked at him in ill light to saying, you're not really a true Jew. You're a half-breed. you got a Moabite mother in your family line. That's not a real Jew. And so he's probably always been looked down on as being one of those outcasts. You know, people in every civilization have had the same issue. Are they really part of the in-group or on the outs? Mm -hmm. I think David started on the out, but he does not accept that. Certainly not with God. It is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it's also the God of David. And David was not all pure in the Jewish sense in his generations, but God had already redeemed it. And it's in the Word of God. It's there in the lineage of David and Jesus that these people God brought together from extraordinary suffering and made that the legacy upon which David is building. So, yeah, I can understand full well he would be really sensitive to those who are oppressed. That's been us. That's been our family. It should never happen again. Well, he closes out this section going back to himself then. Mm -hmm. And me? Well, I'm afflicted and I'm full of pain. Keep me safe, God. Let your salvation keep me safe. I think that's a great way for us to pray. And that may be the way of him extracting himself from this vision. Mm. Like he has got to back out of it. I am living in pain. I'm suffering. That echoes Jesus too. But I think he's almost like coming to himself and he steps out and says, so save me, true God, and keep me safe in troubled times. Mm -hmm. If there's one sentence that seems to make a lot of sense for any Christian living today is to recognize that these are troubled times. I know every generation has them. Right now, it seems like the whole world is on fire in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And not just in the literal sense that there's problems with the environment or with war happening in the world, but... People's souls are on fire in good ways and bad ways. Everywhere we turn, it seems like there's adversaries. But we're still living at a time of incredible opportunity and beauty. And the church is growing like it's never grown before across the entire planet. Mm. I mean, there are incredible things happening right now. So if we could say one prayer that I think every Christian in the world could say together, so save me, true God, and keep me safe in troubled times. Safe is not about being away from danger. It is being secure spiritually, emotionally, especially, and often physically Mm -hmm. in places that you wouldn't think would happen because everywhere we go, we're in Christ. Mm -hmm. In the long view, what have we really to fear? If we really are in him, if we really believe it, we know that we can ask this of God because this is who God is. Yes, He is safe in that sense. He's also very dangerous to our pride. (laughs) You know, it's... He'll rip those things to shreds in order to get to that real person he knows is in there. Mm. I'm certain of that, too. That, to me, is the encouragement that comes from a line like that. If I'm going to pray a prayer like, I believe that David believed that could be answered. Mm-hmm. I've got to believe it can be answered for me, too. David shows us the heart of empathy mm. in this passage and what it's like to put yourself in the place of another. Yeah. And to see the other as the most important part of your heart in that time. He's prophesying about the Messiah, yes. What you were saying about being in that place and seeing that devastation of what's really happening with Jesus. The desolation. The desolation, that's a good word for it too, yeah. That he is caught up in that, in that pain, in Mm -hmm. that profound sorrow. 
Yeah, he's asking God to save him from that. Save me from this sorrow. I can't deal with this. It almost has an echo, too, to Jesus' prayer in Garden of Gethsemane before all this suffering happened. God, if there's any way to deliver me from this, do it. Mm -hmm. But even so, your will, not mine. He's saying, preserve me for whatever I'm intended to be, really. Mm -hmm. And Jesus knew where he was going. He had to get through this hump Mm -hmm. himself as a human being facing the impossible. Because we're talking about eternal things here, I think that Jesus knew that David would walk with him up that hill. Mm. He would speak about the most important relationship of all with his father being severed in his soul and feeling like he was betrayed. But I think he also sensed that great cloud of witnesses we talked about last week. Yeah. Interesting way to sign off for this particular passage in Psalm 69. Next week, we have one more episode on the rest of this chapter, and it's a big turn. It's going to be much more, I think, of a praiseworthy and exciting and uplifting answer to all of the things we've read up to this point. Mm -hmm. But for me, the pathos, the passion of this entire chapter, obviously, is right in this section. Because we know Jesus, this is not a hopeless chapter. Mm -hmm. This is not desolation for us, but I know it was for him. And so I'm grateful that we have both David and Jesus to look at now. Yeah. David's seeing what will be. And maybe having a glimpse of what could be is the reason he's able to turn the corner after this. Thank you, friends, for joining us for Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word on Psalm 69. We'll be back tomorrow with our regularly scheduled Compassion Radio programs and the latest news from the front lines of faith. Thanks for joining us today. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We need you, friend, so contact us today.